if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock and we're rolling on a Tuesday, the 23rd morning of the third month of the year of our Lord 2021. Thank you so much for being with us. We have got a packed show today. It just got a lot more packed this morning when we added a guest to the uh, to the uh, docket. Coming up here in less than ten, actually less than fifteen minutes at nine twenty, we're going to talk with former Congressman Jim Renacci, who still has his eye on the Ohio governor's seat, and uh, he has not yet declared so, but he is responding to the current governor in a strong way. As uh, Governor Mike DeWine promises a veto of Senate Bill 2022, which would restrict or remove some of his unilateral powers and give some of the power to the people by way of their representatives in the Ohio General Assembly when it comes to responding to health emergencies, pandemics, or other types of emergency crises. So that's coming up in just a few minutes at 9.20. That, we had to squeeze Congressman Renee in because we've had a guest scheduled for 9.35, Lori Cardoza-Moore, the founder of PJTN, Proclaiming Justice to the Nations is speaking out on behalf of that organization against critical race theory and praising governors that actually get it, like Ron DeSantis in Florida. Ron DeSantis in that state has declared there will be no critical race theory taught in Florida schools. This is the polar opposite, of course, of what's going on in California, where they have just mandated critical race theory and other sorts of education like that uh, to warp the minds of young children about this country in the state of California. So Lori Cardozo-Moore is going to talk about the danger of critical race theory at 9.35. Then at 10.10, come on, you know what it is. It's Tuesday, and that means it's Kirsenau Day. So we've got Jim Renacci, Lori Cardozo-Moore, and uh, Peter Kirsenau all lined up on the docket for today. But we cannot talk about today's news until, of course, we begin our program with our daily Pledge of Allegiance. Would you please stand, put your hand over your heart, unless, of course, you are driving. And even then, you can put your hand over your heart. Just hold the wheel with the left hand and join us. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. 
to patriotic Americans. You are welcome to leftist radicals. Uh, sorry, not sorry, that I ruined your morning with the Pledge of Allegiance to our great country. I want to start on the local level, or actually the statewide level anyway, since that's what Jim Renacci is going to be talking about here at 920. Mike DeWine is going to veto, and he has sent a five-page letter explaining his reasons why to the legislature. He's going to veto uh, a bill that has been passed in both houses, or both chambers, if you will, of the General Assembly, that would limit his powers, the or any future governor's powers, over uh, health emergencies. <clears throat> so he's going to be signing this uh, this veto today, and he, of course, has dragged it out as long as he could. The longer he drags out things like his veto, which he had 10 days to do, and then even after this thing goes back to the chambers and they've got to vote with an override, uh, you know, that's going to take a little bit of time. And then it's going to be 90 more days before it takes effect anyway. The longer he drags this out, the longer he keeps his little Napoleonic power. And that's exactly what it seems like to me. The little dictator that would be, uh, the little bespectacled buffoon that is Mike DeWine, who continues to defy science, who continues to ignore what is working in other parts of the country that actually have re-embraced freedom and constitutional principles when it comes to allowing people to decide how they deal with their own health. Uh, Mike DeWine refuses to let go. And his latest and most embarrassing uh, example of that is the five-page letter he sent to legislators. Senate Bill 22 would limit state of emergency orders to 90 days. So if there's a future pandemic or other sort of health crisis, any future governor, and hopefully there will never be another bespectacled buffoon quite like Mike DeWine, a man who uh, I voted for and I'm most ashamed of, Maybe the most shameful vote I've ever cast as an adult. And I've said this to you before, and I'll say it again. I wasn't always a conservative, uh, open, open-minded, open uh, deep thinker. I was once a very shallow, non-political uh, person who voted Democrat in the 90s. I voted for Bill Clinton not once but twice. And guess what? I regret my vote for Mike DeWine more. Even more. At any rate... This would limit state of emergency orders to 90 days, but give state lawmakers, the legislature, the option of extending them indefinitely in 60-day increments. It also would let the legislature vote to end statewide health orders like mask mandates as soon as they went into effect and prevents the governor from reintroducing a similar order for another 60 days. It's a solid piece of legislation. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. Does it limit the ability... For one man or one man and one woman like the walking, mumbling, bumbling lab coat Amy Acton and her two successors, uh, it, does it limit them from destroying a state entirely for a calendar year? Yes, it does. And that's what makes it important to you and me, and it's why Mike DeWine is fighting against it. So he wrote a five-page letter, or at least he his, his team did, and sent it to lawmakers. He says that Senate Bill 22 is harmful to the fight against future uh, pandemics and threaten safety and would open up the state to all kinds of lawsuits. And it's a violation of the separation of powers doctrine in Ohio's Constitution. And I'm going to stop there to chuckle silently and to shake my head. And unless you hear the rattling going on, you can't see it or you don't know it, but I'm shaking my head. Mike DeWine's current actions are a violation of the separation of powers. 
Mike DeWine has elevated his power in the executive over the powers of the judiciary and the legislature. Do you recall what the judiciary, the judges, the Ohio Supreme Court told him last March when it was time for the uh, Ohio uh, primary? He wanted to delay or postpone or cancel the Ohio primary because he didn't want people standing in line during this terrible, terrible crisis of, of the pandemic. And the Supreme Court said, no, you can't do that. Mike DeWine flipped them the bird and did it anyway. And then, of course, this legislature has presented numerous bills to limit and restrict some of the powers that are given to the governor and to the Ohio health director during this pandemic, and he has vetoed them every time. So you talk about separation of powers. Mike DeWine has eliminated separation of powers. He has declared, I'm king, respect my scepter, and do what you're told. That's that's literally what he has done. While it is, the Ohio's health director, or health officials rather, are monitoring. This is part of the letter that DeWine wrote. Uh, he essentially is comparing what's going on with uh, the pandemic right now to Ebola in Africa. Um, he said that Ohio health officials are monitoring 44 people who have returned from places like Africa with effective, or I'm sorry, with active Ebola outbreaks. And said, if somebody comes here and develops symptoms of Ebola, SB 22 would prevent our public health apparatus from swinging into rapid action and taking decisive steps to isolate, quarantine, and protect the public, end quote. And my response to that, and we'll see what Jim Renace says in a couple of minutes here, my response is it's not about actively quarantining somebody who is definitely infected with something. What you do and what this uh, current Ohio law says is that you can strap healthy people into their homes and lock them down and quarantine them. Healthy people, just out of fear that it might spread, that that people might spread it asymptomatically, it needs to be reined in. SB 22 does that. And we're going to talk about that more coming up. Let's get a quick time out now. It's 916. Jim Renacci will respond on AM 1420, The Answer. All right. uh, The best laid plans of mice and men, as they say often go awry so uh let us move forward and uh just give you the rest of the story as i understand it the columbus dispatch reporting on the veto <clears throat> excuse me the expected not expected it's an it's it's happening because he already laid out his reasons why and some of the responses uh the key now is the question of override it takes three-fifths of each chamber, the Ohio House and the Ohio Senate, to override the veto that Mike DeWine explained that he is giving today. He will actually officially sign the veto today. So what does that mean? It means we need 20 votes in the Senate to override and 60 votes from the Ohio House of Representatives. The bill passed the Senate with 25 Republican votes. Now, why more than five of them would change their mind in an override situation is a beyond anybody's comprehension, at least as far as I can tell. Clearly, uh, the, the Senate is going to be fine. If all 25 of them vote, and even again, even if a couple of them defect for some reason, if all 25 who passed it the first time vote again to override, we're golden in the Senate. But what about the House side? The House side is a little bit different. The House side passed this measure, Senate Bill 22, with 57 Republican votes. That's three short of the needed, uh, of the amount needed to override the veto. But according to Speaker Bob Cup, he says he is, quote, and this is in the Columbus Dispatch, quote, absolutely positive, end quote, 
that he's got the votes to override. He said that a handful of Republicans were absent the day uh, SB 22 passed, but they will be present for the override vote, which is interesting. Um, you know, we, we, we hope that they're being honest. I don't know who they are. We hope that they're being honest when they say, oh, yeah, when we get there, we will vote. I'll be honest with you. This is 100% just a, uh, okay, now I'm hearing an echo. There we go. This is 100% just a, you know, observational thing on my part. I don't understand how legislators can be absent for votes. I just think it should be a requirement of the job. When you are elected to a position to serve the people, you must be there when it's time to vote. I don't understand that. But nonetheless, that's an aside. They were absent for this particular vote. And taking them at their at their word, apparently, is Bob Cup that when they get there for the override vote, they will vote to pass and override that veto. So we will be in business. But at this point in time, that's all we have. We just have a promise of we have a promise of a veto from DeWine today, and we have a promise of an override from Republicans in the General Assembly when those override votes happen. And then ninety days after that, so we're going to be well into the summer. Then maybe the powers of uh, Mike DeWine's scepter will be stripped, and then we can get back to an actual constitutional republic, you know, as a nation and certainly uh, as a state as well. Okay, um, we're going to fix all of the little gremlins that are in our gears right now and uh, we're going to take a time out for news then we're going to come back and hopefully we will talk with our guest Lori Cardoza more from proclaiming justice to the nations here on AM 1420 The Answer. Leave a message, 216-525-1806. All right, it is uh, 935. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday. We were unable to make our connection with uh, Jim Renacy. We are going to try our best right now to make a, make a connection with our next guest. Uh, Lori Cardoza-Moore is the founder of Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, a uh, very important organization. Our friend Mike Goldstein is the Ohio director of uh, Proclaiming Justice to the Nations in our state. We talked to him a lot about some of the issues here. But Lori is the founder and president whose current campaign is Taking Back America's Children. And uh, she's had a major, a major national voice in waking up Christians on the dangerous road that America's on when it comes to education and the ge- uh, next generation of leadership. Our next generation is currently being trained in some very, very unorthodox ways. And quite frankly, in some very, very dangerous ways, very, very divisive ways. We're talking about training them in critical race theory, which is being pushed in schools across the country as part of the new woke culture, as a part of social justice. And the goal is to turn everyone who is Caucasian or white into the enemy and everybody who is a person of color into a perpetual victim. That is the, the essence of critical race theory. Uh, in the state of Florida, we've had good news. Governor Ron DeSantis has been the first governor, at least that I'm aware of, and maybe nationally that we are aware of, to announce that this will be banned in Florida's classrooms. 
Governor Ron DeSantis said that uh, the indoctrination of children, America's children, into the current woke culture by way of uh, critical race theory will not happen on his watch in Florida classrooms. And this is a move applauded by proclaiming justice to the nations. And Lori Cardoza-Moore, who joins us now, and this is going to be the crossing of the fingers. Lori, can you hear us? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. Gremlins seem to be have, have been exorcised now from our system, and that's good to know. Okay. Lori, oh, I was praying. I was so was praying, I. Bob. So was I. <laughs> we really were trying to get in touch with Congressman Renacy before you, and we had all kinds of issues. But we're glad to have you. So, Lori, let's talk. First, for those who don't know about uh, proclaiming justice to the, to the nations, I've mentioned I've talked to my friend Mike Goldstein in the past about this, and I've talked to you, in fact, here on the air here in Cleveland as well. But give everybody a quick uh, once-over of PJTN. Absolutely. PJTN's mission, or Proclaiming Justice to the Nation's mission, is to educate Christians about our biblical responsibility to stand with Israel and the Jewish people against the rise of global anti-Semitism. And we accomplish that goal by producing award-winning content. But you know what's amazing that's happened over the years is that we have also garnered Jews who have become part of our organization, and even people who are not of faith who support what we're doing because they understand, especially now, looking at what's happening in our school systems across this country, that our children are being indoctrinated. We're, li- we're losing the future of this constitutional republic, and it's up to us, we the people, people of faith, and those who don't practice Christianity or Judaism, who want to be engaged in this because they understand the role that faith and religion plays in our nation at as it always has and god willing with us it will continue so this is the now this is the time now is the time and this is the hour for us people of faith to mobilize and take back local control of our communities starting with our schools it does indeed start with our schools. So let's talk a little bit about critical race theory as you understand it. And again, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis uh, has announced a ban. I don't know if any other governor has. If they have, it's been on the down low, and nobody has. It hasn't reached the uh, national media, to my to my knowledge, anyway. But Governor DeSantis has described this uh, critical race theory as being not only divisive, uh, but but it is being you know historically inaccurate. And he's right. Critical race theory t- it takes American history, it rewrites it, it bastardizes it and it attempts to paint america in the worst light possible and that is of a of a systemically racist nation that has relied upon keeping people of color down since the days of slavery and the founding of this country absolutely and you know bob thinking about history and how we have seen this same model played out all we have to do is look to israel look at how israel has been maligned marginalized and israel's history has been denied by organizations like the United Nations and other NGO front groups. We see it with the Palestinians. They won't name any of the Jewish religious sites under Hebrew names. They use Muslim names in referring to these locations. It is all about whitewashing. It's all about changing the narrative, changing history. And we saw it also with ISIS. Look at how they destroyed that one 1,800-year-old building. We see with our kids under critical race theory, all this garbage that's being taught to them, that our children are tearing down monuments. They don't even know who the people are, the figures that are, that they're pulling down these monuments. It's all to eliminate our history so we have no connection to our past. If we don't know our history, if we don't learn from the mistakes of our history, then we can kiss the future of this country goodbye. 
We're talking to Lori Cardoza Moore, the founder and president of PJTN, which is proclaiming justice to the nations. DeSantis said this, teaching kids to hate their country and to hate each other is not worth one red cent of taxpayer money. We will invest in actual, solid, true curriculum, and we will be a leader in the development and implementation of a world-class civics education. So two-part question here. Number one, do you agree with that phrasing, that critical race theory literally teaches kids to hate each other and to hate their country? You kind of hit the country part a second ago. Uh, but then also, what is your, what are your thoughts, Lori, about civics? It's something that used to be standard in public schools decades and decades ago they don't teach civics anymore they don't require young students to learn civics education uh and yet we expect by the way immigrants who want to come to this country and become citizens to be fluent in yeah. civics but not our own children your thoughts yeah so let me get let's go back to governor DeSantis because you know something he deserves a huge plug this man has taken on an issue that nobody else just like what you said nobody else has taken on he is not going to adopt this. In fact, years ago, when he was then congressman, I went to meet with him in Washington, and I brought him the textbooks. This is when we first started to see the propaganda and the indoctrination, the anti-Semitic content, anti-Judeo-Christian values that were being espoused to our children through the textbooks, through Pearson Publishers. And now, of course, now it's Pearson McGraw-Hill. But I brought him the textbooks, and he said to me, when he saw the content with his own eyes, he said, I'm running for governor in Florida. If I win, we're getting rid of Common Core and we're getting rid of these textbooks. Well, you know what? He got rid of Common Core and now we're working on the textbooks. And I am honored to have been able, PJTN has played a role in reviewing the civics content. He decided when he saw the, the chaos erupting in our country, he decided to take a critical look at civics education in Florida. And we were able to review with other organizations. We organized, mobilized, reviewed the content. We tightened up the standards. And that is what he is now going to be basing his new civic literacy program on, this initiative. I just commend him because he's bold enough and courageous enough to call this what it is. It's wacko. It's, it's wacko education. And what he is not going to tolerate this for, for the children in Florida. That is that is obviously great news. Now the question is, is who else is going to follow suit? And before we talk about that, um, what do you think the the goal is of this wacko you know curriculum, wacko education that you're talking about? Because it is all of those things, and it just kind of you know when you when you stop and and look at the ideologies of you know the right and the left, and the you know and the the faith faith based versus the secular, and so on and so forth. Sometimes you have to stop and ask yourself, what's the goal here? Why is the other side pushing so hard for something so dangerous, so radical, so divisive? Is their goal literally the destruction of the Union or, you know, of this great republic? Is that what their plan here is? It it absolutely is. It is the destruction of the Union, the republic. It is the dismantling of our Judeo-Christian values that this country was founded upon. And unfortunately, many people are buying into it. The critical race theory is racist. It is anti-Semitic. And no Christian, and trust me, just like what we saw happening in Washington or in uh, California this past week, when we saw how they adopted this new ethnic studies model curriculum, this ethnic studies model curriculum is quite telling because they include the um, the Arab Jews in the language, the Mizrahi Jews, but they don't include the Jews who are of Ashkenazi or European descent in the verbiage. Why? Well, because they want to 
marginalized white Jews as under the guise of white privilege, just like white Christians. Well, they are coming after Christians as well. One of the things that they leave out in the curriculum when they say they want to, you know, um, they started out wanting to make sure that all ethnic groups were um, respected and we want to inform our kids and educate them. Well, you know what they leave out of the critical race theory narrative with Hispanics, with Blacks, and other groups is their faith. Where in the curriculum does it talk about the impact of Christianity on these people groups and how that plays into their culture? They don't, they don't use that narrative. They don't share that narrative with the students in the schools. Instead, it's all about look at woe is us, look at how we've been persecuted. No, they're going to lump and marginalize. They're going to make anyone who is white part of the problem, that we are the, the oppressors. Well, excuse me, we talk about privilege in the United States of America. I don't care what color skin you are. We are all privileged because we live just the very notion that we were born in this country. We are more than privileged. And for anyone to tolerate this garbage being used and pushed in our schools, just like what we're seeing in Ohio, you know, just like what's happening in these school, school districts across the state and across this country, if we the people do not stand up and say, no, we're not buying into these lies, into this garbage, and no, you're not going to be peddling this propaganda to our children in our local school district. We are talking to Lori Cardozamora. She is a uh, the founder and the president of Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. Let me go from Florida, uh, Lori, to California. Just this past Thursday, um, after two years of battling, um, very divisive uh, uh, content there as well. The State of Board of Education this past Thursday unanimously approved a model curriculum to guide how the histories, struggles, and contributions of Asian, Black, Latino, and Native Americans and the racism and marginalization they have experienced in mm-hmm. the United States will be taught to millions of California students. They're calling it Ethnic Studies Curriculum. The new curriculum, and this part is interesting, especially for P- PJTN, it also embraces an approach to ethnic studies that focus on the four core groups just named, but also evolving to accommodate the breadth of experiences, including lessons on the Jewish, Armenian, and Sikh communities in the United States. Your thoughts on what California's, uh, they've settled it now. Their board has agreed on it. They passed it. It's going to be taught to millions of California students. Well, here's the thing. It was, it was voted and agreed upon. But the, the curriculum wasn't going to be mandatory for all students. But now they have a bill that's coming up, and it's HB 101. And they're going to introduce this legislation. I expect that they'll probably pass it, making it a requirement for children in California schools. In order to graduate, they will have to take some part of the ethnic studies model curriculum. It will be required. The fact that it's loaded with propaganda, they had um, pagan worship included in this legislation. Now, um, some people are saying that they removed the pagan worship from it, where they are, are worshiping and chanting to Aztec gods, those Aztec gods that they want our kids to chant and worship to in California, happen to be the gods of war. So we're going to have our kids in our classrooms chanting to a pagan god, who was involved in human sacrifices, and that's okay, and that's what we want to teach our children in California. Well, let me tell you, 
the sleeping giant in California has awakened. We see it with what happened with the with um, the recall for their governor, and now the governor has this issue, this education looming large over his head. Californians are rising up, and they are saying, not on our watch. Parents are pulling their kids out of the public school system, or they're showing up at the school board meetings, and they're letting their school board members know, put them on notice, that elections are coming up, your seat is up, and we are coming after you to remove you. And that's what we, the people, have to do. We have to get off of our our couches, and we have to start attending these school board meetings. We need to listen. And don't think, you know, ladies and gentlemen, don't think that because this is California, it's not happening in Ohio. It is happening in Ohio. You already have issues in several of your counties. They are already pushing the 1619 Project, the anti-Semitic Black Lives Matter curriculum. All of this is being shoved down our children's throats. And you know how they're doing it, Bob? They're doing it through the supplemental material angle. Because like a lot of states, the only um, curriculum that needs to be approved are textbooks and instructional materials. But supplemental materials aren't required to be reviewed by the State Department of Education and approved. So what they do is they say, oh, this is the 1619 lie and disinformation Mm -hmm. or this anti-Semitic Black Lives Matter curriculum being taught to our kids is supplemental. Any teacher can just pull it off the Internet, slap it on the kid's desk and say, here you go. This is our lesson for the day. And the school district doesn't know about it. The parents don't know about it. Teachers do because they're the ones pushing the agenda. It's out of control. It's got to stop. And the only way it's going to stop is if we, the people, take back control of our communities. We can't leave it to somebody else. Bob, nobody, no one is coming to the rescue. It's us. Well, you're right. And, and this is something that I've advised people anytime we talk about these kinds of things. You know, parents need to wear out their welcome in school buildings. And I mean, literally, uh, you request weekly, uh, uh, updates from teachers on, uh, what, what their curriculum is for that week. What are the lessons plans? What lesson plans? What is the required reading? What are you teaching my children this week? And especially if these are all public schools, taxpayer funded, taxpaying parents deserve the, the access to that information. If they don't get Absolutely. it, they need to be in principal's office. Offices. If they don't get cooperation at, there at board meetings, superintendents, etc., and if need be in front of judges, there is no way we can allow our kids to be force-fed all of this stuff, all of this hateful, divisive nonsense, which is going to destroy not only their lives but the republic in general. Uh, we cannot do that without this, having a say. So uh, it's great is, advice that yeah. you give, uh, Lori Cardozamore. Uh, I appreciate your time. Thank you for shining a light on this. Let us know, by the way. Let us know if other states are adopting ethnic studies uh, curriculum. Let us know if they are past, uh, adopting critical race theory uh, in their schools. And let us know, better yet, if other governors besides Ron DeSantis have the guts to stand up and say this is not happening in our schools. You bet. We'll Thank do you, it. Lori. God Thank bless you, so much. you guys. God bless you, too. Lori Cardozamore, president and founder of Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. Really appreciate her time. It's 9.52. Back right after this. Uh, 
9.55. Thanks again to Lori Cardoza-Moore uh, joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, we've got Peter Kirsten now coming, coming up. Let's squeeze a couple of phone calls in here uh, before the top of the hour. And uh, it's Kate in Vermilion on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Kate. Go ahead. Hello, Kate. Kate, going on? It's, um, it's legal. Oh, there she is. I got you. Okay. Go Can ahead. you hear me? Yep, yep, yep. Okay, I'm going I'm to give you some information that's really important, and I'm going to give you a website to check it out to see it's validated. But before I do, I want to pose a question to you. We know that Biden has um, some issues uh, mentally, cognitively. And if he was no longer to serve in the office, and for instance, if Kamala Harris wasn't able, who's next in line? Well, that would be the Speaker of the House. That's what I was thinking after I heard this. I, I listened to a gentleman being interviewed who is one of 12 litigants that filed in, um, on De- December 6, 2020, out of California. They are constitutionalists, and they filed against Kamala Harris and all the paperwork. You can go to this, because I checked it out. Um, you can l- download the paperwork from the website. It's um, a 501c3 organization. It is called Constitutional association.com. That's where you go to. Constitution. Okay, what's, 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 the organi- what's the point of all this? I'm, I'm, I'm all right. Well, the purpose is they are suing her, and um, the papers were served. Uh, my understanding from the interview last night was this month, and she has 21 days to respond to the fact that she cannot take an office of vice president or president because she's not a legal citizen of the United States. When she was born, her parents... Wait, 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 wait. wait, wait. Who's not a legal citizen of the United States? Kamala Harris. No, no, no. Well, no wait, not, not wait, wait, she wasn't no, born. She's not, not a natural. Stuff. She was not born she a natural citizen. She is eligible citizen. to be the president. Otherwise, she would not have been allowed to be on the ballot as a vice president. Go okay? to the website. They are okay. suing her. And right, she well, has to respond her, in 21 this, this days. This is the kind of stuff that destroys us, Kate. I apologize, but I disagree. Well, I, I want you to check it out because this it is, is the a lawsuit. This stuff that makes us look like buffoons, okay? I want She's you to check it out. She's not eligible or else she, okay, I appreciate it. Well, that's what they're saying. She isn't. Okay. Because both her parents... They're wrong, Kate. I, look, they're, they're wrong, and I don't play these games. Thanks for the phone call. I appreciate you. Call me back another time. I know you're a great caller and a great listener. I don't play those games, and I'm not doing that nonsense. If there was anything to Kamala Harris not being eligible to be president, you don't think that the Republican National Committee, the Trump campaign, and everybody else right of center in America would have been all over at the moment Joe Biden uttered her name as his choice? You don't think they'd be all over that? Come on, we're not doing that. They're not going to retroactively go out and remove Kamala Harris and bring President Pelosi in. It's not going to happen. Let's not do that. It doesn't help us. Mike, uh, oh, this is Mike Goldstein. Also, a pro- I just Mike, I just got done talking about you to Lori Cotto Zamor. Good morning. Hi, Bob. How are you? Good, Mike. Good What's on your mind, you. sir? Well, I was just holding on in case when you had Lori on, uh, you might want to learn what's going on at the state level. As I am the state director of proclaiming justice to the nations, you most certainly um, are. Yeah, we're we're aligning. Um, you know, we do our work in this in the General Assembly in Columbus, and we have put together a coalition, a mutual coalition of proclaiming justice to the nations, the Ohio Christian Alliance, Ohio Value Voters, and several other um, conservative organizations. Great organizations, uh, all absolutely to work with our legislators to um, eliminate this from our schools. So um, 
Well, you know, that's, 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 a, that's a very noble cause. Uh, and, and, you know, certainly working with the legislators. Wouldn't it be nice, though, Mike, if we had a governor like Ron DeSantis down there? If we had a governor who said, no way are we going to allow this stuff to be taught in our schools and any sort of attempt by the State Board of Education or through legislation to mandate this stuff in our schools will be met with a swift veto, no way, no how. I love the fact that uh, DeSantis is doing that, that down there, and it makes me jealous of the garbage we have up here. Yes, but um, we have the governor we have until we elect another governor. And um, I think people need to look to who should um, be um, voted in at the next election. I'm sure Governor DeWine is running for re-election. Um, you want to hear something but, scary, Mike? You want to hear something scary since you brought it up? And, I, and I've got to go oh, yes, it's I'm 10 o'clock. And I'm thrilled to the... listen to something scary. Go ahead. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, our, our young college voters, our young college Republicans, and I, I hit this at the end of yesterday's show, uh, uh, young college voters, I think they're called College Republicans of Ohio or something like that, have issued their endorsement of Mike DeWine for re-election. So uh, we got a bunch of other people uh, you know, in line for this campaign, uh, including Jim Renacci, who's going to join us next hour. We weren't able to get him on the air in the first hour because of some tech glitches. But um, Jim Renacci, but yeah, college Republicans, which means voters, these are all 18 and over in college, are all endorsing Mike DeWine for re-election. And what does that tell you? Well, let me suggest something, Bob. Mike, Mike, I can't. I've got to go. I don't have time for the suggestion because it's already 10.01.20, and we've got to move here. Let's go to uh, quick news, and then we'll come back with Peter Kirsten.